Initial public offerings have been a controversial topic in microfinance ever since the industry's early days, and rightly so. The IPOs of Compartamos in Mexico and SKS Microfinance in India showed that microfinance could be highly profitable for investors, but also sparked hyper-commercialization and debt crises that rocked the sector, harming its clients and tarnishing its public image. But last year, two Indian MFIs, Equitas Holdings and Ujivan Financial Services, had successful IPOs that garnered a very different reception. How did these offerings differ from SKS and Compartamos, and what does their success imply for future investment in microfinance? Daniel Rosas of the European Microfinance Platform and Anna Kanz of Grassroots Capital Management discuss these topics and more in Next Billion's latest podcast, starting in 3, 2, 1. All right, well, I wanted to thank you both uh, for joining us today, Daniel and Anna. Um, we're really pleased to have you here. We're looking forward to the discussion, and uh, let's just jump right into the questions if you're both ready. Sure. All right. Well, uh, first off, I wondered if you could uh, kind of run down f- for our listeners what an IPO is um, and how it's relevant to financial inclusion. Great. Um, so I could take that uh, to start us off. Um, an IPO, an initial public offering, uh, is an offer of new or uh, existing shares from a company that was previously not listed on a public exchange. Um Companies choose to IPO for a variety of different reasons. Uh, it increases their access to capital. Um, it helps them build scale and it provides liquidity to founders and existing investors. And in the Indian context, there is an added consideration. Uh, MFIs that want to reach um, to become small finance banks, uh, which is a designation that allows them to diversify their uh, public, uh, sorry, their product offerings and. Um, reach a broader uh, customer base with uh, savings, they need to reduce their foreign shareholding below 50%. And uh, given that most Indian microfinance institutions um, already have a lot of private equity investment, they are really unable to do this through um, domestic private equity alone. So uh, going through the IPO processes is really uh, one of the only ways to do this. Interesting. Is that, uh, just to follow up on that, is that the case in India alone or is that a a common situation in other other markets as well? I think, uh, as far as I know, it's it's really just the case in India alone um, because of regulations uh, on foreign investment in that that country. Okay, interesting. So um, maybe we can jump right into um, the India uh, example first, uh, since we're on the topic. Um, Equitas and Ujivan had IPOs relatively recently. I wonder if you could uh, explain the motivation and history leading up to those um, to those offerings, Anna. Sure. So both Equitas and Ujivan um, are microfinance institutions uh, that serve a, a very large customer base already, um, and uh, as non-bank finance institutions, uh, which is a regulatory designation um, for their operating structure, they uh, were unable to offer savings to their clients and also they weren't um, able to really expand their loan uh, offering beyond just traditional microfinance uh, loans. Equitas actually diversified um, its product offering by becoming a holding company. Um, so they also had vehicle loans, but uh, they wanted to go further and grow further and offer deposits to their clients. Um, 
So both Ujiban and Equitas received uh, approval from the Reserve Bank of India to become small finance banks, which, as I mentioned, was uh, is a new designation um, that allows them to take deposits from clients and also um, a, a number of other um, benefits. So um, to do this, as I mentioned, you know, one of the only ways they could really reach the scale that was necessary was to tap the public markets through an IPO. And so far to date, it's been their IPOs have been received um, pretty well uh, compared to IPOs in the past in financial inclusion, which um, had suffered from maybe a first mover disadvantage where um, they were viewed as pursuing commercial ends uh, at the expense of their social mission. Um, these companies, I think because they uh, wanted to become small finance banks, which requires them to remain committed to um, serving the underserved markets, they had this written in their bylaws and it was in their uh, prospectus as well to continue serving at, uh, these underserved markets and also um, remain committed to their social mission. Okay, and so that uh, that factor you you think was was uh, a big part of why they were better received than than perhaps other IPOs had been. In my opinion, yes, but I think it was also a maturation of um, microfinance itself and the public perception of microfinance and and its benefits and drawbacks, which earlier financial inclusion IPOs, you know, as as sort of the the first movers, they. Uh, sort of had to define, uh, define microfinance for the market and uh, that had some negative uh, consequences as far as public perception. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of those IPOs that had, had a negative uh, uh, reaction amongst the public. Uh, Daniel, maybe you can uh, lay out the context behind the uh, SKS and Compartamos IPOs and uh, kind of describe what the response to those was. Absolutely. Um, so. And, and I think in, in many ways it helps explain why the current IPOs uh, have gone differently. Um, I think one really key point uh, that Anna mentioned with the current IPOs is they were driven by an underlying business need, you know, business need of uh, uh, being able to collect deposits and having the capital necessary to, uh, to do that. But if you look back at the kind of conversations that were happening with the early round of IPOs, uh, the need was as much um, strategic and public relations need as it was a business need. Yes, they needed capital to grow. Yes, they were of the size, at which point IPO was a logical way to, to, to get that capital. But um, in the one case, uh, in the case of Compartamos, uh, if I remember right, I don't believe they were actually raising any capital at all. It was just a vehicle for existing investors to exit the solar shares. Um, in the case of SKS, the, the split, they were both raising capital and uh, providing an exit for existing investors. Um, and a lot of this was framed in the way of bringing microfinance to the commercial market or bringing the commercial market to microfinance and saying this is a major milestone in the development of the sector. Um, and it generated a lot of attention. Uh, and not all of that attention was good. Um, it, it, in some ways, uh, it, it, it started the conversation of, okay, what is the right uh, framework for microfinance? Is, is the commercial 
approach, the right approach, is the nonprofit approach the right approach. This is pretty much the beginning of the big conversation of interest rates, uh, with Eunice sort of stating, you know, microfinance was created to replace loan sharks, and instead it has become loan sharks itself. They're specifically referring to Comportamos in that case. Um, and uh, many of the industry uh, sort of uh, efforts uh, to de define uh, define appropriate or responsible investing, to define uh, uh, principles for protecting clients, and those really arose after that. If you look when Smart Campaign started, when uh, uh, Microfinance Transparency started uh, doing their work on interest rates, it all followed the SKS, uh, SKS uh, IPO, not immediately, but within the next few years. Um, one other thing, factor that I think is really, really important, and this sort of defines also the uh, the outcome of the of these two, is that in the lead up to those IPOs, um, uh, and this is I think particularly apparent in the case of SKS, SKS was was pursuing a, a very uh, a, a, a very well defined strategy of growth in order to meet very specific targets that it needed to reach. Uh, at, at the time of the IPO, um, and it pushed it to grow to a level that is really not possible given its size without becoming essentially an irresponsible lender, and that's what they did. And a lot of it triggered uh, the types of uh, not only by SKS alone, but also as a result of its competitors sort of trying to chase it and maintain their market share. It 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 created a level of competition in uh, parts of India, especially in Andhra Pradesh, which was the largest. Uh, share of microfinance in India at the time, um, and it, it, it created a lot of competition that was unsustainable, um, and it did lead to overindebtedness, and in some sense, a lot of the response. Um, I would I would say that the crisis in Andhra Pradesh, which was when the government of Andhra Pradesh actually, uh, essentially, in effect, prohibited microfinance in October 2010. Um, I don't believe it would have happened without the SKS IPO, which just happened three months before. This was a major factor in in in, in that picture, and that juxtaposition of you know the shareholders and officers of SKS walking away with millions. And if you look at the articles being written at the time, you'd see you know the poor, um, some of them committing suicide. Um, it it was uh, it was the worst possible picture. Um, and, and I think uh, the fact that today's IPOs, both Ujivan and, and Equitas, have been much more low-key, uh, attracted a lot less attention, is a good thing, um, because they were focused on the business itself and not, not on sort of this bigger bigger picture. Hmm. So um, you, you described a number of differences between these, these uh, two sets of IPOs. Are there any other differences that you guys would like to run us through? also mention, uh, I mean, just following up on what Daniel was saying about signals to the market um, is uh, another indication of sort of future, I guess, growth plans or future profit plans is, um, is valuation. And, and uh, if a valuation is high, it indicates to the market that 
the company then has uh, would need to grow or you know have very high profits going forward to um, justify a high valuation and a high price. And uh, in the case of Compartamos, they um, their price was uh, probably largely driven by their very high profits um, going going forward. And then uh, in SKS's case, as Daniel mentioned, uh, the high growth that was really not um, not prudent given the market saturation where SKS was operating at the time. Um, and so just, you know, it, comparing the Compartamos and uh, SKS IPO, uh, IPOs to Equitas and Ujivan, I would mention that um, the latter Equitas and Ujivan were under two times uh, book value, which is price to book value is a, is a way to standardize price across um, companies for comparison's sake. Uh, where Compartamos was um, close to 13 times book value and SKS was four times. So um, that's to say that the Equitas and Ujibon prices were a little bit more reasonable, indicating that um, they wouldn't be you know, growing uncontrollably or, or maybe charging high rates to their customers to, to create these profits that were maybe unsustainable. Yeah, if I can actually add to that, I mean, I think this is a key point, um, um, and it and it happens both in terms of what the expectations, what the valuation expectations are going forward, right? Investors paying a certain price at IPO, but it also sets expectations in advance, meaning existing shareholders expect to be selling for a certain price, um, and if you look at the shareholders who entered, um, bought shares in SKS. Um, in the three years leading up to the IPO, uh, these were largely uh, venture capital funds, not traditional microfinance investors at all, um, and they tended to have, you know, as 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 their normal practices of of, of fairly short term, uh, uh, you know, they will come in and they'll get out within three to five years. Uh, so so their time frames are fairly short, um, and they expect to have um, high returns. Uh, those high returns come with high risk as well. So a, a typical venture capital investor would expect some of their investments to fail completely. But if you look at a, a microfinance institution and you, then you sort of ask the question, is that really the appropriate mindset to be investing in an institution that should be serving the poor? Because if that institution fails, presumably its, its clients have also been hurt in the process. And uh, and I think that's exactly the kind of setup that, that was created with the expectation of that high valuation. Um, in, in the case of Compartamos, Compartamos very explicitly set the goal of said, hey, we want to highlight uh, microfinance as a good investment for investors. Hence, we're keeping our profits high, which directly led to them keeping their interest rates high as well. Um, and, and they were succeeded. I mean, if you look at microfinance sector in in Mexico after the uh, Compartamos IPO, it, it exploded. I mean, there were a lot of new entrants who came in, a lot of big money uh, that uh, started new new MFIs, uh, and that continued to uh, charge very high rates, um, where concerns about market saturation have been growing. Um, so they succeeded in their goal, but it's to me, raises the question, was that really the appropriate goal, right? Is the goal to show that microfinance is, is a good investment for investors, or is the goal to say, hey, we should bring investors who are good for microfinance? Hmm. 
Yeah, I, that's an interesting point you raised, Daniel, about um, the types of investors that uh, bought into SKS prior to the IPO. Uh, both Equitas and Ujiban actually had a mix of um, traditional microfinance investors, uh, social investors, as it were, and um, some more traditional private equity investors. So, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know that much about SKS or um, Compartamos' uh, investor base um, and, and what their objectives are, uh, but I do know, you know, Equitas and Ujiban did make it very clear that um, their social mission was core to their um, company's operations and, and their corporate culture. And um, I think all of their investors knew that going in. And, and, and also the, um, the regulations had changed, uh, you know, after the 2010 crisis, as you mentioned, where it, it wasn't really possible to charge high interest rates. Um, interest rates were, were regulated. But even before that, I think there was enough um, competition in India that it wasn't really interest rates that were uh, the issue. It was more multiple loans and, and oversaturating the market. You know, Anna, the irony of it, uh, of, of what you're saying, is, is is that it's exactly right, that that you had investors who came in who, in, who, to, to both Equitas and Ujivan following the Andhra Pradesh crisis, um, but with quite different expectations than the kinds of investors who came in. They were commercial investors, but they were not the sort of the short-term high-return investors that you saw in SKS. Um, and, and I think... The reason I say that's ironic is because if you look, both Ujivan and Equitas were uh, from the beginning founded as uh, commercial entities with a social mission. Uh, Copertamos and SKS, on the other hand, uh, began as NGOs and then transformed into commercial entities afterwards. And in some sense, it actually created uh, both complexities in the IPO itself. Uh, both had uh, Large shareholder, uh, large amount of shareholders, uh, or not shareholders, but shareholdings held by by the original NGO, and in both cases, um, the oversight of that NGO and where that money went is is, is really unclear. Um, SKS, uh, the, the, they had a structure that a number of the older MFIs in India had at the time. Which are called these mutual benefit trusts that would, were supposed to hold the shares in benefit for the clients of the MFI itself, uh, and I think they walked away with something on the order of two hundred million dollars or so at the time of the uh, of the sale, and and some of it they actually was uh, realized profit. I think about sixty million or so was realized profit, real cash that went to that to that mutual benefit trust. Um, but the governance of that trust and where that money went is, is anyone's guess. Uh, it was actually the founder of SKS himself, uh, Vikram Akula, who, who was actually the, the main trustee. Um, and Akapartam was the exact same issue. There were quite, uh, I don't remember the exact number, but it was in the hundreds of millions of dollars that the original NGO of Akapartam was, has, you know, gained. Uh, that's a big NGO. If you look at the balance sheet of an NGO that has that much money, they could be doing real things, and I do wonder what is it that Compertamos NGO has been doing that's been so amazing, because no one's ever heard of anything about it. It's a website, it's there. So there's a real question of where is that money going? Um, and I think that kind of issue didn't really exist, uh, and, and I think it probably hasn't been, um, you know, 
the potential for 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 the wrong kind of incentives hasn't really been uh, recognized. Um, now, thankfully, I think we're probably no longer in that case anymore. There are not too many of these old-style uh, transformations, and those that have happened have since then. You know, it's been long ago. Uh, no, just going to um, sort of follow on what Daniel was saying and say that both uh, Equitas and Ujiban were not NGOs. They, they started as, um, as shareholder-based institutions, uh, and, and they were always conscious of that, um, having one investor or, or a founder have too much power and then they diversify their shareholdings and uh, diversify their governance structure, um, you know, deliberately to uh, to sort of guard against that and, and be board-led companies. Do you think that um, that Equitas and, and Ujivan learned something from the, uh, the example uh, set by Compartamos and SKS and did something different than they otherwise would have done uh, because of it in their IPOs? Uh, I don't know if it was those examples directly that they learned from or just the changing um, marketplace that contributed, uh, you know, the change in regulations that sort of required that. But also their founders and, and their um, governing principles were uh, sort of developed before these IPOs and, you know, with those um, considerations in mind, to be a board-led company, to to not have one founder, one uh, one investor have too much control, um, to sort of safeguard the corp, the social mission, uh, which was essential to their uh, to their operations. So I, I think those things were um, ingrained um, at the start. Uh, but I, I but I do think you know the changing regulations and and the changing perception of microfinance and, and I, I think you know every every institution it learned from that. I think James, if if I can just add that uh, I think there's been a general change in in the ethos of institutions that invest in microfinance. So not necessarily looking at those IPOs specifically, um, but I imagine that. Um, it, it, for example, one of the key shareholders in SKS was uh, an organization called Unitas that's based, that was based in, in Washington State in the U.S. And they actually had a very specific objective. It was a, a non-profit uh, that invested in SKS and I think a few others, but not so many. And they had a very specific objective to commercialize microfinance. I mean, that was their goal. They had a lot of links to uh, Silicon Valley investors, and it was through them that a lot of the uh, a lot of the sort of more aggressive commercial investors uh, wound up uh, entering in uh, to SKS even prior to the IPO. Um, I don't think that those investors really exist anymore. I don't know of any sort of microfinance investors who have a very explicit goal: we want to commercialize. That's our goal, and even those who do see it quite differently. They're seeing it not from a perspective that commercialization is good, but more from a perspective, hey, maybe we need the type of uh, uh, the, the type of institutional structure that commercial banks have that allows them to have much larger balance sheets, that allows them to, to have a much more diversified uh, asset base. Uh, so it's a much more strategic view rather than, a, than a, almost a a, a social goal that sort of sets commercialization as a 
as its own objective. Hmm. I don't think that's that exists anymore. Yeah, that's interesting. Unitas also invested in Ujiban. Um, so, I, I mean, I think, you know, like you said, I think the ethos has changed and I think, you know, investors themselves have changed and, and, and their own objectives and their objectives to, for the industry have probably um, evolved. And I'm, I'm sure they, <laughs> I'm sure they learned from uh, the SKS experience. So I think that's, that's an interesting perspective to, um, yeah, that's that's really that's that's really interesting thing. Uh, uh, what I know is that Unitas as an organization, uh, following actually pretty soon after the SKS IPO, uh, within a year actually closed. So there's no 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 more Unitas NGO. But the fund that they had uh, continued onward, and I think that's the Unitas. It's it's based in Mauritius. I don't know who the holders of the fund are. And I think those are the investor investments that they must still have in Ujiban and others that they had. Um, but United as the organization, that, that disappeared. Um, right. And it is actually itself an interesting little part of the wrinkle in the story. Um, it happened very suddenly. I know the employees at United, whom I knew personally, some of them, uh, were completely uh, 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 surprised. I mean, this was not expected. This just happened in a day. The board met, made a decision, and then the employees were all told, okay, you know, we're closing. Um, and another real interesting story, and I think it is related in some sense to the ethos of the day. Well, I got one last question for you. Um, just kind of um, zooming out a little bit. I wonder, I mean, is it fair to say that you could draw a, a fairly straight line from these IPOs with SKS and Compartamos to concerns with um, excessive profit-taking and interest to, you know, the, the crises that then kind of racked the industry. I mean, is, is it fair to say that the IPOs directly led to the changes that have re reshaped microfinance over the past uh, several years? For me, with that question, um, I would say that the reason we talk about interest rates today and the reason we talk about them in the way we talk about them is because of the Comfort Thomas IPO. That was the trigger point. If you go back um, there were a number of papers that were put out. Uh, Chuck Waterfield started sort of, you know, proclaiming this as a big issue. It, it, it laid the seeds for what became microfinance transparency later. Um, CGAB actually wrote a major paper on this, uh, sort of exploring, you know, what are the underlying components of the Compartamos interest rates and why they, you know, as high as they were at the time and still are. Um, uh, and at the, uh, on the other side of the, uh, of the world, in India, um, yeah, I mean, what I said earlier is the India crisis would not have happened, the Andhra Pradesh crisis would not have happened, uh, certainly not when it happened, uh, without the SKS IPO. Um, that was a, a, a key part of it. And, and it's on both ends. It's on the one hand, the IPO is what drove that reckless growth. Um, and if you look at the statements of the heads of the other major MFIs in Andhra Pradesh, uh, they were all also expecting to have an IPO within one to two years after SKS. And it was a question of who was next. Um, and, and that was what was really driving the market. Um, and then once the IPO happened, and once that, that sort of juxtaposition of profits on the one hand over indebtedness on the other hand, um, it's what gave the government in Andhra Pradesh really the uh, the cudgel with which to, you know, to, to start hitting the the sector there, um, and that in turn further uh, caused uh, the central bank to get involved and start laying down normal regulations. So, 
you know, a, a lot of why the market in India is, is the way it is now really does go back to that, to that IPO. Um, to the extent it affects approaches and concerns about over-indebtedness elsewhere, I think those stories are still there. Um, there are other countries that, that deal with over-indebtedness that, that do look back to Andhra Pradesh as an example and that type of growth as an example. Um, but in, in that respect, it was, you know, there are other examples of that too. It wasn't just the IPO that caused it. Interesting. Yeah, um, I, I would agree with uh, what Daniel said, and I think you know the SKS IPO was a catalytic event, um, but uh, it, it certainly was one of many factors. And um, the resulting regulation, while harsh and and ha having ne negative consequences for many um, microfinance institutions, also built. Uh, the regulatory framework um, and the credit bureau infrastructure that made uh, these current 2016 IPOs um, possible. Um, but I would caution again with <laughs> relying too much on um, regulations and, and credit bureaus. Uh, you know, high growth uh, is happening again in India in, in certain pockets and. I'm sure these IPOs and, and the positive reaction will probably lead to more IPOs. So, um, you know, it's, it's important to be vigilant and to uh, to continue the focus on the social mission and, and uh, oversight that, um, that these institutions had up to the IPO. Very good point. And, and I would say investor expectations as well. I mean, if, if future IPOs come in at similar type of valuations as these two came in, then maybe it's not so bad. Um, it's if if it starts driving that expectation of, of you know ever greater returns, that's I think where problems start coming in. Hmm. Right. All right. Well, very good points and uh, very interesting discussion today. I, I want to thank you both uh, again for your time, uh, and we look forward to talking uh, much more about this topic uh, in the upcoming Twitter chat with both of you and with Chuck Waterfield. So uh, to be continued. So thanks again to you both, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thanks, James. Thank you.